check out my new book, Coping Courageously, a heart-centered guide for navigating a loved one's illness without losing yourself. It's appropriate for you as a clinician, for your patients, and for anyone you know who has a seriously ill loved one or an aging parent. Check it out and tell a friend. Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast, where we help physicians and other clinicians master the art of integrative symptom management so they can wholeheartedly care for themselves as they expertly care for their patients. Welcome to the Integrative Palliative Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about becoming a sage physician, a sage physician, and what that means and how you get there and why you even would want to do that. And my caveat here is that I'm a physician, so I think in terms of being physicians, but you can think of it as as a listener, as a sage clinician, a sage teacher, a sage stay-at-home parent, whatever it is that you do, you can hear these things that we're talking about today in a way that applies to you. So the big picture is to be a sage physician, there's a, a half of it that's about you as a physician, and there's a half of it that's about you as a person. And here's why this interests me. I want to tell you how I got here to even be talking about this. So I've been a physician in a whole bunch of different ways. I was a a regular old rural family physician doing outpatient and inpatient medicine. I was a family medicine attending. I was a director of education and associate director of a center for integrative medicine for the University of Maryland Medical School. I worked in urgent care for a while. I was division chief of an integrative palliative care program inpatient and outpatient. And I've worked for a large corporation doing medical education. So I've seen physician work in all kinds of different contexts. And here's what I noticed. Some people are happy and some people are not. And it's easy to say, oh, well, people are not happy because the medical system is so messed up, which it is for sure. It is. I'm not at all saying it's not. But here's what I saw. Some people work 100 hours a week and they're miserable. Some people work 100 hours a week and they love it. Some people work part-time and that took them from being miserable to happy. Some people went to part-time and they were still miserable. Some people went to non-clinical work and they were happy. Some people went to non-clinical work and they were not happy and felt guilty that they weren't doing clinical work. So what I really started to see is it's not just about the work environment, although of course the work environment impacts how we feel, it, that's not the whole story. So what I have come to in counseling medical students and counseling residents and counseling fellows and even counseling other attendings and observing and seeing myself and seeing my peers and my colleagues is that to be a sage physician means you're doing the very best you can by your patients which gives you the satisfaction to keep going. And you're doing the very best you can by yourself, which gives you the internal fire to get the best that you can out of your life. So at least today, here's what I think. I think that there are eight steps. I want to talk about these eight steps for us to become a sage physician. So number one is that you need to carry a big patient care toolbox, a metaphorical toolbox. And what I mean by that is there's like the starter kit toolbox, which maybe is what we learned in medical school. We learn about medications and procedures and radiation maybe. But the master craftsmen have the next level up toolbox, the bigger toolbox with the more extensive tools. And that is what we need 
to be a sage physician, meaning we do the very best that we can for our patients. So yes, we need to learn all the things we learned in medical school, but we should intentionally expand our toolbox to include evidence-supported complementary modalities like acupuncture for pain, for anxiety, for depression, for sleep, and for nausea. Mind-body tools like guided imagery and meditation for pain, for anxiety, for depression, for sleep, to improve health-related quality of life, and to manage fatigue. We should learn powerful skills to help patients implement the behavior changes that will make them feel better and be better for them. So if we just say, well, if you don't start exercising, you're going to die, that doesn't motivate anybody to change anything. So how about we learn motivational interviewing counseling skills so that we, we can be more effective at helping our patients actually make change? So number one is to carry a big toolbox, which means you need to learn some things that you probably didn't learn in medical school. You have to go after that learning yourself. Number two, and right now we're talking about the patient side of the SAGE physician. Number two is that you need to approach the patient with a whole person perspective. So the mind and body are connected and we can't separate them. So if someone can't sleep, for example, we can't just give them sleeping medicines, even though we memorize these medicines in medical school, because that's not getting at the whole person component of why this person may not be able to sleep. So maybe they can't sleep because when they lay down at night, their mind starts running about all the things that could go wrong. So for that person, maybe some cognitive behavioral skills would be helpful or some mindfulness or meditation at bedtime, guided imagery at bedtime. Maybe they can't sleep because they're drinking caffeine in the evenings. So for that person, maybe it's dietary counseling that would be helpful. Maybe they can't sleep because their partner has sleep apnea and jolts them awake and snores terribly. So that's a, a counseling intervention, right? Have the partner go get tested. Maybe the patient has sleep apnea. Maybe they need to go to a sleep expert, get a sleep study. Maybe they have pain or nausea that's uncontrolled, and that's why they can't sleep. And for them, the intervention would be more effectively managing their pain or their nausea. So none of those things are a deficiency of sedatives or sleep pills, right? So part of how we function as a sage physician is to look at the underlying root causes of what is happening for our patient so that we know best how to implement our larger toolbox. Number three is that we need to practice what we preach, meaning if we're going to have this bigger toolbox that includes things like mind-body interventions, acupuncture or other Chinese medicine interventions, tai chi, qigong, food, exercise, movement, dance, joy, massage, etc., 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 we should be practicing some of those things. So first of all, we should be using that bigger toolbox for our own ailments. If we have anxiety or depression or fatigue or pain, we should be using this bigger toolbox for us. But also part of being a sage physician is knowing what all this stuff is. So even if we don't have a particular need to do Tai Chi or to get acupuncture or to, to see a chiropractor, we might want to try it out just so we know what it is, so we're knowledgeable and we can more effectively create these treat the root cause with our big toolbox treatment plans for our patients. So we need to practice what we preach. That's three. Number four, we need to set and keep boundaries. Many of us are not good at boundaries. I put myself in this category. When I was first a resident, I was the one who was always late spent too much time in every single patient room, 
could not get out, couldn't get my notes done because I was not setting and keeping boundaries. And the truth is that medicine is tough. Healthcare systems are tough. And you simply cannot rely on the healthcare system to take care of you. They're not going to say, we think you shouldn't see that many patients. You, it seems like you're stressed out. Let's cut down your patient load for the day by three patients. That is not going to happen. So in order to be sage physicians, we need to take care of our own boundaries, figure out what boundary we can set, set it, and then keep it. And sometimes that might mean we get a supervisor unhappy with us or other people might be unhappy with us. And that's okay. That's okay. When you set a boundary, other people are not obligated to thank you for setting that boundary. You get to set it because it's right for you. And then they are allowed to have whatever response they have. Now, uh, rarely, you know, might this mean that you have to change jobs? It might. But if that's really your boundary and that's really what you decide is right for you, then that's the right thing for you to do to change jobs. So figuring out our boundaries and keeping our boundaries is a huge part of being a sage physician, because if we don't, we get depleted. And if we're depleted, we're lousy physicians and we're lousy partners and we're lousy parents and we're not as happy. So setting boundaries is a really important part of keeping our empathy so that we are excellent physicians to our patients and keeping our empathy and well-being so that we're great partners and parents and happy human beings and great friends. Number five, we need to create our work life and our home life, so our whole life, around our values. What is important to us? really, truly important to us now at this point in our life. If we don't do that with intention, then we end up perhaps, you know, just working, 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 because that's what our dad said we should, we're supposed to do, or we're trying to get love and affection and reinforcement from those in charge, or we feel like we have to please everybody in the whole wide world, even if it drains us dry. That is not a sage physician approach. So the sage physician understands what their values are, and their values could be hard work, or it could be personal fulfillment, or it could be family, or it could be giving back. So based on what our values are at this moment in time, recognizing that they may change at different points in our life, we need to create our work life around it. So rather than having our values be family and personal growth and joy and fun, but we're working 100 hours a week in a job and we're miserable and feeling trapped, that's not a sage approach, right? If you work 100 hours a week, but your values are hard work, financial gain, power, prestige, then that might actually fill you up to work that hard, to work that way. So it's not about how hard you're working. It's about whether the way you're working and setting up your life matches with your values. And different times of your life, your values will be different. When I had little kids, it was really important to me to be present for them. And so I had to change the way I was working so that I could fulfill that value. So this is kind of flirting with the idea of, quote, work-life balance, which I think is, is a not helpful term, because it's never going to be totally balanced. What matters is, does it fit with what your values are at this time of your life, recognizing that at a different time of your life, different things could be important to you and you might construct your work life environment differently then. 
But what matters is what are your values and is your work life matched to your values? So that's a sage physician approach. Number six, sage physician fixes their broken parts. We all have broken parts, all of us. Many people have some kind of childhood trauma, either big T trauma, you know, like a big, big event, alcoholic parent, or little T trauma, like your parents got divorced or somebody was a yeller or you had to move suddenly at a a tender time in your life. So pretty much everybody has some sort of challenging experience in childhood that may still be impacting you. Some people have lower mental fitness, meaning a lower ability to respond to stress with a neutral or positive mindset. So some people, when things go wrong, they lose their you-know-what, and they their blood pressure raises, and they raise their voice, and they get agitated, or maybe they shut down and you know give everybody the silent treatment. But some people have a better ability to manage stress effectively. Other people do not. Some people have really strong cognitive distortions. Oh, I'm never good enough. No matter what I do, it's not enough. Good things don't happen to me. People don't like me, right? These are all broken parts that we may be bringing with us to work and to our life that reduce our quality of life. So part of being a sage physician is figuring out what are your broken parts And what can you do to work on them? So that could be you read books and you work on it yourself. It could be that you work with a therapist. It could be that you start a meditation practice or see an energy practitioner. There's no one right answer. It depends on what you're working on. But a sage physician doesn't just whitewash the broken parts. They look at them. They make a plan. They get the support that they need to lighten the load of those broken parts. Number seven, a sage physician gives back. And that could look different ways. That could be giving back to your peers. So if you are learning to be a sage physician, sharing that knowledge and sharing those resources with your peers, that's giving back. It could be mentoring medical students or residents or fellows. That's a way to give back. It could be snuggling shelter dogs. But giving back in some meaningful way is good for the soul. And it's part of being a sage physician. And then number eight, thing that a sage physician should do is connect to something bigger than yourself. So for some people, that's religion, but it certainly doesn't have to be. For some people, it's a spiritual sense of the world that maybe there's something after this life, or maybe there's good energy in this life, or some universal unconscious. For some people, it might be space, outer space. For some people, it might be nature or love or even just the idea of putting good into the world, but connecting to something that is bigger than our petty problems is an important part of being a sage physician. Okay, a quick review, because if this speaks to you, I really want you to think about this and even write down these eight things and put them up somewhere where you can look at them so you can start your journey to being closer to a sage physician. Here are the steps. Carry a big toolbox. Expand your toolbox for helping your patients feel better and reducing their suffering. That's one. Number two, approaching your patients from a whole person perspective and taking advantage of the mind-body connection to help reduce their suffering. Number three, practice what you preach. As you get your toolbox bigger, use those things yourself. And even if you don't have a need, go check them out so that you know what they are so you're a better teacher and guide for your patients. Number four, set and keep 
boundaries. Number five, create your life and your work around your values. Number six, fix your broken parts. Figure out what they are. Make a plan to fix them. Number seven, give back in some way that feels meaningful to you. And number eight, connect to something bigger than yourself. All right, your homework this week is to write down these eight steps, see which one, two, or three really speak to you right now, and start making a plan to move closer to becoming a sage physician. Thanks for being here. I'm so glad you listen, and I'll see you next week. This podcast is brought to you by the Integrative Palliative Institute. Visit our website, integrativepalliative.com. There you can access physician and clinician training, well-being coaching, free downloads, and other cool stuff. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and share your favorite episode with a friend.